Hey there, welcome to the Mile High Church Podcast. Spiritual living classes are starting soon. See miraculous shifts in your life that you may not have thought were possible. Visit milehighchurch.org for details. What a joy, what a joy. Well, they've been predicting snowmageddon here in Denver, snowmageddon. And uh, so, uh, as we were saying earlier, it's just so wonderful to be here in this sanctuary with people again, and people who, as, as Tom was saying, that you brave people, we are brave to get out in the snow today for sure. And uh, we're continuing a two-part series, we're ending it today. Today we're talking again about prayer. Our series is called Prayer Power, and I just love the the image that our graphics department created for it because I believe that uh, the most powerful, powerful tool we have in our life to transform ourselves and our lives is this power to pray, and especially the way that we teach prayer here at Mile High Church. So last week we started with prayer, what it is, and today is prayer, how it works. And we're going to talk a little bit more specifically about the hows of prayer here in our teaching. Uh, I want to review a little bit, and last week I, I, I said to us that uh, we have a motto here at Mile High Church that goes along with our logo that says, it's different here. And because so much about this community is different than any other community in the world, it's different here. And my uh, suggestion to everyone is that that's the same with prayer, that prayer is different here too. We pray very differently. And if you've ever heard prayers uttered around here by the ministers, and we have these wonderful folks we call practitioner prayer partners who have trained extensively in the art and technology of prayer, you might hear it be a little different than you've ever heard it before. And that is because prayer is built on the premise of our teaching. That premise is that we do not believe that there's a God out there to pray to, but rather a God that is present in all of creation that we pray from. And so we talked last week about that being the foundational truth of our teaching, and I suggested to us, and I'll suggest again today, that we are in constant co-creative nature with this power. We are constantly, through our, our thoughts and our energy and our attitudes and our emotional lives and our consistent thoughts, consistent intentions, co-creating with a source that is pouring itself absolutely through us, that we can use this power and this presence, and not only can we use it, we are using it every moment of our lives. So therefore, we are in a state of constant prayer. But when we pray in this teaching, it's a more formal, conscious, conscientious time to stop and become conscious of the aligning energy we choose to to express in our life and in our world, and therefore, that's how we pray. We pray from that place in this teaching. And, And that can be very challenging because what most of us have heard or been trained to do is to pray to something out there to pray to a life that's out there from a place of separation that that I'm here and God is somewhere else. And that can be a challenging kind of prayer. I know it can be a comforting kind of prayer. And I have been fascinated in reading recently the great works of Sister Joan Chittister. She is a teacher, a Benedictine nun. I heard her for the first time at the one of the parliaments of the world's religions that I was uh, able to attend. And she spoke then 
very powerfully about the role of women in spirituality. This was a big risk for her to do because at that time, uh, this was in the, in the, the 90s that I heard her for the first time, there was a lot of controversy at the parliament because so many different religions from around the world were invited and many of those religions still believed that women had no place in the leadership of spirituality or religion. And so for a nun to get up at the parliament and talk about the power and the presence of women in the church and in the spiritual world was just very controversial and, and shocked people. But she's gone on since then to continue her, her stands and her powerful presence to talk about many of the social issues that we're facing on our planet and talks about how powerful it would be if Jesus were alive right now and how he might be living out his life in dealing with some of these challenges as well as challenges each one of us to understand that we have a powerful place in our role in the world and how we treat each other and how we treat our fellow brothers and sisters and all beings on this planet and how we treat our environment and and how we live out our lives as a spiritual, spiritual giant. So she's coming to be with us for a workshop in April. And this week, I'm starting a two-part workshop based on her work just to get some of us introduced to her uh, to figure out how she, who she is and some of what she talks about. And I'm doing a, a, a workshop on one of her books about the 12 laws of humility out of the Benedictine tradition. And from that book, she says to us, the truth is that no one can merit God. And that it was really meaningful to me. When we are praying, a lot of times we're trying to get God's favor, get God's merit, his, his favor. We don't earn God a prayer, a legal, legalistic hurdle, a devotion at a time. We don't earn God, she's saying. We don't need to earn God because the basic life-giving truth is that we already have God. God is here with us in this forever. And she goes on to say, trying to earn God only keeps us rule-centered failures because no one can do it perfectly. And that really resonates for me. And having had some time in my youth in the Catholic Church to hear those words from a nun is, is, is like opening. Wow powerful because I resonate with that. And I think that this is part of when we start to take our power, not only in prayer, but in our life as a co-creative being, when we understand that our role is not to earn God's favor, to get God's uh, approval, to get God to say yes to us, but rather to become aligned with God and to know that when we begin to do that, that we can be more effective in our prayers. I also said last week, and I stand on this, that I don't believe that there's a wrong way to pray necessarily. So praying in that, that, that way that might be somewhat born of separation isn't that it's bad or wrong or it's a sin or it doesn't work. I just feel like praying from that place of alignment is what is more effective for us. I heard a cute story. Uh, I was teaching a class in the ministerial school for the San Diego students, and one of the students, Marcus, told a story about uh, a man and his two birds. He had, this man, Bob, had two macaws that he really, really loved, whose names were Jack and Joe, and they're beautiful birds, and they were very able to talk a lot, and, and Bob was a very spiritual, religious guy, and so he decided that it would be cool to teach these macaws how to pray, 
And so he taught them chants and he taught them the Lord's Prayer and he taught them how to pray the rosary and he taught them all sorts of different prayers and he taught them how to take the beads and to pass them through their mouth and to pray. And this was pretty powerful and people just loved it. So he started taking these two birds, Jack and Joe, to schools and to churches and to fairs and show people how these beautiful birds had learned to pray in all these different ways. And he was pretty proud of it. And he thought, gosh, you know, if uh, if two birds is good, three birds might be even better. So he went and got a female macaw to add to, to these, these birds. And as he was bringing the female home and walking up to the house, he heard Jack, the bird inside the house, say, okay, Joe, put the beads down. We finally got what we've been praying for. <laughs> and I like that story because, you know, we, we, we sometimes just want what we want. And so we might be tempted even even those of us who are the most powerful uh, practicing religious scientists might find ourselves in a moment of exasperation because life can be pretty exasperating at times. And we, we might find ourselves in one of those prayers. There's a wonderful uh, teacher named Nona Brooks who was one of the founders of another tradition that's very close to ours called divine science. In fact, our founder, Ernest Holmes, was ordained as a divine scientist before he ever started our teaching. And Nona says, sometimes one longs to pray the old prayer, to ask the Father for something very near to the deepest desires and aspirations of the heart. I have felt this, and I have known that God has understood. Even though we do not consider that the prayer of supplication is that of the highest vision, still we know it has brought satisfaction to the lives of many men. Sometimes a few words like these, spoken from the heart, bring comfort and rest. Dear Father... You know for what I am praying, and I trust you to help me to realize that which is best about it. So sometimes that helps. But if we're going to want to practice the prayer that we teach here in Science of Mind, then we would possibly begin to learn to do the, the affirmative prayer. That's what we call it, praying from the affirmative we call it spiritual mind treatment or treatment specifically at times or prayer treatment. Might hear people talk about that. When we say prayer here in our teaching, that's mostly what we mean, that kind of prayer, an affirmative prayer, a prayer of alignment, a prayer of, of recognizing our co-creative nature. And one of the first hurdles we get to is that people ask in classes and in talking with them, how do I pray affirmatively for something that I want that's not here already? Am I lying to myself when I do that? And I think that it's very powerful to realize that we have a powerful imagination. Our minds right now can go back in time if we want and imagine and remember our life yesterday or 10 days ago. We can remember a condition. We can remember before such and such happened. We have a powerful imagination. And we have a powerful imagination to imagine forward, don't we? We can imagine what it might be like to have that which we would like to experience in our life. We can imagine what it might be to have greater health or more financial abundance or a relationship or a greater, deeper experience with the divine. We can imagine what it might be like to be working in the role that we'd like to work in in our careers. We can imagine forward. And so we forget that we have that power of imagination to consider even things which at first may seem almost impossible to us. 
I love uh, from Alice in Wonderland when Alice is having that conversation with the queen and Alice laughs and says to the queen, there's no use trying, she said. One can't believe in possible things. And the queen kind of snuffles and says, I dare say you haven't had much practice. When I was younger, I always did it for half an hour a day. Why, sometimes I've believed as many as six impossible things before breakfast. And that's what it's about, isn't it? It's about literally standing in this now moment and saying, okay, I can acknowledge and see what's here now. It's not like I'm in denial about what's here now, but I use the power of my imaginational skills to project myself into the future of that which I would prefer to be going on, and I see myself almost like a time machine going forward in time and standing in the midst of the good that I desire. And it's from that place that I look around and I say, yes. I am healthy and strong and vibrant. I am stronger and wiser. I am, and whatever it is that we're seeking to affirm, we do it from there. That's what it means when it's affirmative. We don't do it from the past of, well, I wish I was, but I'm not. Or we don't even do it from the now, like, wouldn't it be nice? We do it from that imaginal place that says, I'm here. This is my reality. I claim it. So that's why when we pray, people hear us speaking words as though it's already so. Because that's the place that we're putting ourselves in, in that prayer consciousness. In that prayer consciousness. And there's a technology of prayer that I want to talk about briefly. The technology of prayer. There are literal steps. And the steps are helpful just to keep us organized, really. The steps are helpful to keep us on track. Because I know for myself, when I attempt to focus on something, I can do it for so long, and then eventually my mind wants to wander. So in our teaching years ago, we developed this methodology, this technology to say, okay, if I'm going to project myself into the future of that which I desire, let me stand in the midst of that and have a technique for which I can claim that truth and have that truth begin to become a part of the consciousness of who I am. And the belief, of course, is whether it's an affirmation statement that we make or an affirmative prayer we do. The more often that we do it, the more often we feel it because we want to have conviction about it. We want to imagine it as clearly as we can. We want to be as feeling nature as we possibly can, feeling the good feelings of that good that we're claiming for ourselves, and then speaking either aloud or silently. Ernest Holmes prayed silently for the people he prayed for. But we pray here mostly aloud with each other. And we do so in these very quick five steps that I'll go over. If you take classes with us, this is a foundational part of what we teach people in our classes. How to use this technology in their life because it's a powerful tool. So we start with recognition, where we recognize the power and presence of this universe that is everywhere and everything, and that great feeling of expansiveness might begin to take us over as we stand in the awareness of that place in the future, the future good that we're claiming for ourselves. We imagine and remember that God is all there is. And then we go into a stage called unification. We remember because it's all that it, there is, it's right here where I am. I am that which it is also. I am that co-creative nature. It's always flowing through me. It's always flowing through me, in me, and as me. And then we move into realization, 
where we literally then affirm the good that we are seeking to express through our lives. I am healthy. I am strong. I am financially abundant. I am partnered in a beautiful, loving relationship. I am moving forward in the career path that I choose. I am feeling a greater presence of God. I am, I, we literally allow ourselves to claim and own those truths as though they were so. We don't futurize. We don't, we don't hold back. We aren't, we aren't uh, weak about this. Like, well, I will have that someday. This will be good someday or it's going to be fine. We don't do that. That, we stay away from that concept. We stand firmly in the now moment and claim that truth as though it were so. The universe that is pouring through us, the God life that is pouring through us, it doesn't know any difference. It doesn't know at what place in the time-space continuum we are residing and resounding. All that matters for this co-creative process is that we are consciously utilizing it to claim our good, to claim the desire we want. Now, we don't get into the hows. We don't need to say, I'm financially abundant because I've won the lottery. We don't need to do that because the universe knows how. We simply need to align ourselves with that good. Then we give thanks, thanksgiving, let it, and we give thanks that it's so already. We act as though it's so. Our thanksgiving is affirmative. It's done. And we release it. We release and let go, just like Tom was singing about. Release it and let it go and move on. So those are the five stages. And prayer, how to use it, it involves those stages, learning them, those steps, learning those steps and utilizing them in our lives. And then we begin to understand that when it comes to prayer, we then, from that place of connectedness, can pray powerfully and effectively for ourselves. I find that prayer in my life does a number of things. Besides help me create the life that I would like to live, it helps calm me down. It helps calm me from those places of doubt, faithlessness, confusion, stress. Because those, those experiences, while very valid in our lives and needed to be expressed, if they become the, the most of the time reality of our being, then our reality in our world will begin to match those. Those are places that we might walk through in our human experience. Of course we might. But it comes to that moment where we want to create the life we want to create, where we get to stop and say, okay, do I really want to continue to create a life that is based on fear, that is based on constant anxiety, that is based on constant worry, that is based on constantly looking at the lack and limitation and what I don't have and what's not working? Or do I want to create another life? And if I want to begin to create differently in other places, I find that doing this process literally calms everything within me. It calms down those thoughts that want to have their way with me sometimes. It calms down my nervous system that wants to be in flight or fight. It calms down the very presence that I am. And I go there so regularly, as do all of our ministers and our practitioner prayer partners, that I immediately feel that ease and grace of that calmness of prayer. I also find that when I pray... I don't feel so alone. Sometimes in my personal challenges, I might be tempted to think no one understands. 
No one has it as bad as me. No one can understand, no one can begin to imagine how it must feel to be me right now. But when I pray, I feel myself partnered with the highest aspect of myself. I feel myself partnered with the divine nature, the limitless divine nature. And there's something more and something greater that can happen through me. And having now been in this teaching since I was a teenager, I find that I can count limitless number of, of times that prayer has supported me in my most desperate moments and has helped not only calm me down, but helped me create what I want. As I was thinking about this, I was thinking about a time when it was very profoundly true that I utilized prayer. I had been not only studying here at Mile High Church, but I'd been studying with a man named Stuart Wilde, been uh, staffing his workshops here in town. And, and he made a suggestion for a month-long vision quest for the participants of his studies, and I decided to try it. It was in the middle 80s. I was uh, a young woman working here on the staff of Mile High Church. And so I took four weeks to do this program he suggested. I literally withdrew from the world. I was in practitioner training, so I would go to my, my practitioner classes. I would come to work, but I didn't spend any time with friends or family. I, and, and each week had a different theme that I was working on in my life. You know, one was health and emotional well-being. And the last week was meant to be a vision quest where one goes off by themselves someplace. And so at the time, Kent Routenstrauss was my travel agent, and he had begun working with a new, new tour company. And so he arranged for me to pay for a tour that included uh, the airfare and the hotel transfers and a hotel. And I went to this beautiful little town that was just getting started, so it was, it was quiet. It was called San Jose del Cabo, right outside of Cabo San Lucas, about 20 miles outside of Cabo. And so I get there, and I, I don't have a lot of money, so I had just enough money to pay for the package. I took protein shakes to drink and enough money for one meal a day. And so I spent seven days in this beautiful place in San Jose del Cabo on the beach. I sat on the beach, I prayed, I meditated, I journaled, I listened to music, I prayed, I meditated, I listened to music, I journaled, I drank protein shakes, and it was beautiful. It was a beautiful week all by myself. Needless to say, my mother wasn't too thrilled about this, but I had a great time. At the end of the week, I packed all my bags, and I went to the front desk, and I checked out, and I was right there right on time to catch the shuttle to the airport, and I waited, and I waited, and I waited, and the shuttle wasn't coming. So I went to the front desk and I talked to someone and I told them the name of the company and they called and they couldn't get hold of anybody and they said, we're sorry, you'll have to catch a cab. Well, I had $3 left. I had no money. I had no credit cards. I had nothing. And after this beautiful week of meditating and being still, I would like to say that I was perfectly calm and dealt with it, but that just would not be true. I was a bit freaked out. And so luckily that voice inside of me did win itself out and said, just sit down and pray. So I sat down and I did a spiritual mind treatment and I envisioned myself at the airport in Cabo San Lucas 
getting on the plane, and I envisioned that there was a way that life could get me there. I did not know what it was. I didn't know how I was going to get there. I didn't even spend time worrying, well, maybe the bus will show up, or maybe someone will give me a ride. I didn't know. I just, I just knew that I had to pray, and it was a prayer of total surrender, total surrender. It was a prayer also of, I'm ready to go home. I'm ready to step back into my life. I'm ready to be this improved version of Michelle, whatever it was I had imagined it to be. And as I ended the prayer and said, and so it is, I opened my eyes and I looked around and that inner voice said, go to the pool. And I was like, go to the pool? I don't want to go to the pool. So I got up because I've learned to be obedient to that voice. And I went to the pool and I looked at all the people sitting around the pool. And all of a sudden, over one lady, there was like a little flicker of light. And it kind of shocked me. And so I walked over to her and, and I just started speaking. And I just said, excuse me, ma'am. And I told her the whole story. And I said, I need $10 to take a cab to get to the airport. And she said, oh, honey, of course. And she gave me the $10. And I had the little pass from the, the shuttle. So I said, would you please write your name and address on this piece of paper? And I promise when I get home, I'll, I'll send you a check for this $10. And so she wrote her name and address and she handed it to me. And I looked at it and she literally lived behind me in Denver here. She was my neighbor and I didn't even know it. And it was like one of those synchronistic moments I was so grateful to her. I was so grateful to the universe. I went and I got my money and I got a cab. And I had that feeling when I got to the airport. I remember sitting down and looking around with that feeling of relief and saying, this is what I imagined when I prayed. This feeling of, oh, I'm going home. I know Kent's not here for me to blame him for that, but I'll find a way somehow. Just one of the ways that, that prayer supports and sustains us. In one of my most desperate, scary moments as a young woman, I felt it. We can use prayer for ourselves. We can use prayer for others. Because we know that there is one life and one presence. We know that we can pray for people in our lives. Ernest Holmes says that worry is misplaced faith. And, and, and that's sometimes what we do about others in our lives, don't we? We worry so much. We almost feel like it's a sign of love to say to each other, well, I'm really worried about you. And to those who love me, I'll often say, please don't worry about me. I'd really prefer if you prayed and saw me as triumphant over this challenge and saw me as strong and able to meet the things that I'm facing and not worry because... For we all have impact. We all have an opportunity to stand in the field of each other's presence and know the best and know the truth and know the highest good for each other. So we learn to pray on behalf of other people in a powerful way to see them as powerful and loved and, and strong and triumphant over their challenges to, to claim their good for them. And that's what we ministers and practitioners do when we pray for other people. We have spent time soaking in this divine presence and standing in our divine presence. In fact, I will say sometimes it's so much easier to see the good for someone else than it is even for myself. And sometimes for myself, I can't see the good. I'm too caught up in it. And that's when I will reach out and ask one of those wonderful practitioners to pray for me. And I have a prayer partner that prays for me every week. And I pray for her because I believe so much in the power of this prayer, this art of prayer. And so we can pray for others and allow others to pray for us in this affirmative way to stand as witness to the truth of us. And we can pray for the world.
we can pray for the state of the world, for things to get better. Now, I know that's sometimes where it can become the most exasperating. When I was working on this message, I did some research on praying for the world and saw all sorts of things all over the internet about people saying, I've been praying for world peace for 25 years and still it's not working. And many people saying, I've been praying for this COVID virus to go away and it's still persisting. I've been praying for everybody to wear masks or I've been praying for everybody to take their masks off or I've been praying for, I've been praying for, I prayed for no snow. I know there's not gonna be any snow in Denver. And, and, and feeling like, but I prayed and, and it didn't happen. And I think sometimes that's where we miss the mark when it comes to prayer for ourselves, for others, and for the world. Because there's always something more going on than we can sometimes see. There's always more happening in people's lives and in the life we share. But what we get to know is that when we pray, the prayer we utter for the world or for other people enlightens us, allows us to have another moment of grace, the grace that God is, and allows us to express and feel that and be a contribution to world peace and be a contribution to the health and well-being of others. And I, for one, would much rather for my sake and the sake of the world and the sake of all of the beings in this world be a contribution of light and love than continue to be a contribution of negativity and doubt and lack. So prayer in this way serves us. It serves our soul as well as it serves the world. We can use it for the benefit of all. Our Ernest Holmes says in Living the Science of Mind, one of his great books, the thing that happens when we pray or write is simple. We create an attitude of complete acceptance in our own minds. When we do this, the law of good, which is all-powerful, begins to operate on this acceptance and begins to rearrange all the facts and activities of our lives in such a way that we have accepted, that what we have accepted will actually transpire in our experience. We may pray for world peace, and we may not see it across the entire globe, but our prayer impacts something we can't even see the results of. So prayer in this way is truly an act of faith. It's an act of faith, an act of goodwill to stand for good in our life and in the lives of those we share this planet with. So as we close today, I'd like to close with a prayer. And today I'm going to do a traditional five-step treatment. I did 10, but five-step treatment. And I'm going to invite anybody who's listening to consider thinking about something that you would like prayer for today whether it's something in your own life that you would like to see happen or something in the life that we share for the world or for someone in your life that you want to see, someone be healthier or happier. And just imagine as we close our eyes, if you'd like to close your eyes with me to pray, that's fine, no need to. But as we go within, imagine that desire of the heart right now. Just one, one desire. And I begin by knowing there is one life. That life is God. That life is everywhere present, in, through, and as all creation. That life is the all that is. That life is whole, perfect, and complete. It is love, it is joy, it is power, it is all abundance, it is harmony, it is peace. That life is expressing fully and completely as all of this good everywhere present. 
And I accept and affirm that that life is my life right now. It's the life that is pouring through me as I speak this word. I accept my oneness in it. I know that it is the truth of me and I know that it is the truth of every person who hears my voice right now. We are one. We are one in the God life in that God is just as powerfully present in every one of us as in all of us. It is present, available, pouring through us that co-creative nature. We are attuned to it now. We are open to it now. And I accept and affirm that each one of us allows the floodgates of that divine creative energy to pour through us. And I affirm and accept on behalf of each one of us that the desire that lives in our heart for ourselves, for another, or for our world is now amplified and met by this co-creative nature and is made visible and made manifest in the world. I accept that our prayers are answered right now, that they come forth in power, in joy, in love and grace and ease, that our prayers are so, and the good that we desire is now made manifest for us to see and experience and witness and to be a part of bringing forth. I know that this is the truth of each one of us now. And I give thanks. I give thanks that this is so, that this manifestation is so clearly made available, that this seed of the word has been planted in the soil of creation. And I'm so grateful that it is bursting forth. And from this place of gratitude, I release this prayer. I let it be in faith and trust, for I know that it is done as it has been spoken. And so it is. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Mile High Church Podcast. This podcast is made possible by the generous contributions from listeners like you. If you'd like to make a donation, please visit us at milehighchurch.org. Have a fabulous day.